baseball, hockey, and soccer knowledge you could ever need. This is The Water Break on 88.9 The Bridge. Yeah, it's Friday, and we are getting right back into it with some more Water Break. 3 o'clock Friday, it is our time. I am McLean, joined with, as always, my co-host Will Pellerin, and we're here to talk some sports. Uh, We're getting started with 5 in 5. And I'm going to start this week with some basketball news. The Heat and Magic are going to play at four in uh, just under an hour. And new three-point king, Steph Curry, and the Warriors are going to play in Boston at 4.30. Now over to Will for some hockey. Hockey, yeah. I got one big headline for you, and his name is Bruce Boudreaux, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. They are now 6-0 and under him after defeating the Sharks 5-2 last night. Uh, it... it really shows that Travis Green was kind of a poison to this team, uh, and, and they've been amazing ever since Boudreaux took over the reins. Uh, they're one more game away from being 500 uh, at a 15-15 and 15 record, and the playoffs are starting to look more and more like a possibility for the Canucks uh, with this new changing coaching staff. A lot of their players who are having droughts early on in the season, especially Elias Pettersson um, and a couple other good, notable young stars, are really starting to play like we've seen them in the past couple of years. I think this is a huge turning point for the Canucks. It's good to see them kind of climb up from the bottom of the division. I wish I could say the same thing from the Kraken, but honestly, they've kind of been struggling. Right now, they're last place in the Pacific Division. They are going to play the Oilers tomorrow night. That's a huge game for them. Oilers, one of the top teams, have been on a massive losing streak recently. Uh, but the Oilers are nonetheless a good team. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl headlining, the, headlining them. And we certainly have our work cut out for us in Seattle. Anyways, we'll go over to McLean for baseball news. Yeah, in baseball, the MLB is still locked out, but ESPN staff writers have reported that the MLB owners and the MLB Players Association met for the first time since closing their doors on December the 1st. Only minor issues like scheduling, special events, and grievance procedures were discussed, unfortunately. Owners have stated that no major economic issues are going to be discussed in the new year. In more concrete news, the San Diego Padres, uh, after a major letdown last season, continued their managerial shakeups, adding uh, the Korean baseball Kia Tigers manager Matt Williams and David Macias, most recently the head coach of East Carolina University, uh, to be base coaches on their MLB coaching staff under Bob Melvin. They also hired former Mariners field coordinator and bench coach Jared Sandberg to manage their AAA team, uh, who are the El Paso Chihuahuas. Sandberg wasn't going to return to the Mariners in 2022, so this wasn't really a poaching. Um, and I, I think, personally, 
Sandberg profiles better as a manager than as a bench coach. The bench was not used very efficiently by by Sandberg in the last few years of Mariners baseball. Now, uh, over to Will for some football news. Football, yeah, huge headlines in football recently. Uh, Notably, a bunch of players have been getting COVID. Uh, We got the Washington football team down to their practice squad pretty much. Uh, Taylor Heineke now has has an ankle injury, sorry. Uh, The backup... The backup quarterback, Kyle Allen, also tested positive. Things are not looking good for Washington, especially as they get nearer and nearer to the end of the season. I'm not saying playoffs are too likely for them, but they're certainly in that point where they're really going to make or break. And things are not looking good on that front. But they are not the only ones affected. Head coach Sean Payton uh, of the New Orleans Saints has been tested positive. However, he is vaccinated and no one else on the team got it. He has went into quarantine immediately. So it looks like they're handling things over there pretty well. Other than that, there's even more players, McLean, uh, that have yeah. tested positive. Yeah, it's, it's pretty ludicrous. crazy. Uh, Cleveland is down to their practice squad at the quarterback position as well. They're going to be missing a lot of key offensive contributors uh, as well as a number of defensive starters, and they're probably going to have to start. They're down to Kyle Lawletta, Nick Mullins, uh, at, at, and uh, just them at quarterback, unless Case Keenum can test negative twice. It's it's not looking good. It's not looking good. Uh, Nick Mullins hasn't been a starter since 2019, and he only won, I think, two games as a 49ers starter. He's bounced around the league for a while, uh, but it's not good. Also, the Rams, their game, uh, Seahawks fans know by now that the Rams and Seahawks affair was pushed back to Tuesday at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time is 4 p.m. here. Um, and they're missing almost 30 starters. They've got their COVID list is 30 players long. It's it's ridiculous how shorthanded they would be if they had to go and play uh, when the game was scheduled. They're they're missing a few key contributors, um, but mostly depth players and rotational pieces. All of their big names, guys like Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, are all co- fully healthy. Well, I mean, and we, we saw that game move to Tuesday, too, which is a, a really peculiar time to have a football game. I yeah. personally wouldn't mind it. Um, We're but sharing the Tuesday night spotlight with the football we, team. We don't see that a whole lot. No, it's pretty rare. Uh, we saw it uh, last last season. We saw uh, a number of teams have to play Tuesday night football. Never the Seahawks, though. Never the Seahawks. Um, and I will say, I am glad while the Seahawks game is moved back, I'm glad that when I read the news that it wasn't our fault. Uh, the city of Seattle has been really lucky in managing COVID. Uh, the Kraken, have they been doing, right? They haven't. They've had no problem. There have been really no problems yeah. in the NHL, no major problems, certainly to this degree. Um, but for the most part, the NHL has been pretty good keeping things down. The teams are a lot smaller. You got to keep in mind, you know, you only got... 20 25 guys running around instead of up to 100 so i do do think things are a bit easier in hockey um but the travel aspect's all the same you know you're going across countries you're going uh it's you're going everywhere really and i think that makes it hard especially with this virus being so easily transmitted oh for sure for sure and uh you know not to mention the seahawks haven't had a player miss a game because of a covid test um or being put on the covid list in two seasons being played with covid protocols and the mariners only had one player miss any amount of time that was jake fraley uh who was already injured so it's it's really uh 
the city of Seattle has been extremely lucky, and I'm glad that, you know, Lady Fortune has continued to favor us recently. Yeah, that is true. I don't know how much it's contributed to our success seeing the uh, recent Seattle sports team's records, but uh, at least it's something going for us, you know. We've at got least that. it's something going for us. Yeah, uh, so Washington is, by the way, in a really interesting crunch. Um, Ron Rivera is definitely playing on hard mode. After having won uh, only seven games last season, he's now uh, almost equaled that total, but has to play on Tuesday without a lot of his key players. What do you think the football team has to do well to uh, get a win with with uh, Garrett Gilbert, Kyle Shermer, and Jordan Ta'amu, their only quarterback options. You know what they you know what they got to do well. What's that? They got to get lucky. I'm gonna be honest. They're playing Dallas Cowboys, who are they're playing the Eagles. Oh, they're not. Sorry, I thought they were playing Dallas. Cal, uh, Cowboys was last week. Oh, okay. They're playing still a divisional game, um, and the Eagles are certainly not as good as the Cowboys. I would say that, but. Uh, it's it's tough without like you're missing that many players. There's not really much you can ask your backups to do when they're playing guys that are just on a different caliber of skill level than them. Uh, you really got it. Yeah, you can you can try and plan as much as you can. I'm sure there's lots of stuff they can do, but realistically, it's I mean it's going to be really really hard to play against what I would assume is a fully healthy Philadelphia squad. It's yeah, some questions around Jalen Hurts, but then again, with Jalen Hurts's play style, there's always some questions around Jalen Hurts. Exactly, but then they're not dealing with the massive COVID issue that we've got. The uh, yeah, no, they don't the have anybody on the football COVID team going right through. Now, I don't think. Anyways, uh, for the football team to win, it's 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 going to be difficult. I won't sugarcoat it. It's going to be difficult, and for a Seattle team that needs them to lose, things are breaking in our favor. Um, do we do we need the football team to lose? We need the football team to lose. They've got a tiebreaker over us. Are you still hoping playoffs? I'm still hoping playoffs. Oh, We're not dead yet. You know what, McClay? I've been hope, I've been looking draft pick for like two weeks now. Draft picks. It's I mean, we don't come have on. One. There's no first oh, round draft pick. Oh, you are right. You are right. For. We don't have a first round, but still. You've been rooting for the Jets draft position. You know, it, I I don't think the playoffs are happening. Our record is atrocious. I don't think our team would do anything if we could got happen. to the playoffs. Could happen. It though. could happen. It could happen. We just we we lost too many easily winnable games and too many division games. I don't know. Anyway, it's long been a mantra of mine. Speaking of the divisional games, that anything can happen in divisional games. The last time the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, they were thirteen and three, and they fielded what was, in my opinion, the best football team of the last twenty years. Probably, I would certainly say the best defense of the last twenty years. Oh, easily. I and think that- our offense was good, but it wasn't. The Broncos certainly outmatched us on the offensive side of the football. On the offensive side, I Denver was definitely in a league of their own. But I think that Seattle's offense, you could argue, they played the best complementary football. In never giving the ball over, keeping it on the ground, and chewing clock, they made the games as easy as possible for what was the best defense since the 2000 Ravens. You're right. It was... Uh, it was I would say, and I'll defend the 2013 Seahawks as the best NFL team in the last 20 years. Uh, I'll I'll take that team to my grave. Um, But I think that uh, two of their losses that year were in the division. They dropped a game in San Francisco, Santa Clara, one of the last games played at Candlestick Park. 
and they dropped a home game against the Cardinals, who only won six or seven games that year. Yeah, that is that is true, actually. I think there is something to be said about the whole rivalry thing. Teams get to see each other a lot. That kind of... Anything can happen. In it do, it does. I don't. I don't really know how to describe it, but it sort of takes away some of the the not the skill necessarily, but it certainly adds more just luck. I think the teams know each other. They're no, they know what they're going up against. You don't hear about this team that you've never played in three years and see. Oh wow, they have a really good record. This is going to be a tough game. We're probably going to lose. Exactly. Versus you, you know the, you know all the guys you've been playing against them for a while. It just feels more natural, and I think teams, even the worst teams, are going to do a lot better in those scenarios. Definitely. It's funny you should mention the worst teams, because the other uh, argument that I like to make when I'm proving my point about about uh, divisional games being nonsense is the 0-16 Cleveland Browns from a few years ago, the 2017 Deshaun Kaiser. Worst Cleveland team of Browns. all time. One of the in two, most size. One yeah. of the two winless teams in the history of the NFL. They played the Steelers twice and the Ravens twice. Both teams went to the playoffs that year. Do you know they lost all four games by a combined score of less than 20 points? That is pretty That is pretty impressive. Yeah. They needed two um, game-winning field goals to win. The, the, the Steelers and Ravens did. Each team needed a game-winning field goal to beat the Browns at one point during the season. And, and that's the thing about the NFL. No team is ever truly out. Yeah. You watch college games, and you'll see Alabama go up against like some school you've never seen before. And you're like, okay, fans. you know what? The over-under is like minus 60 for Alabama or whatever. And it's not going to be close. In the NFL, anyone can win on any day. Um, you saw this year the Lions almost beat the Ravens. World record field goal stopped that from happening. The odds of that are so low. It's got to be less than 5%. Maybe with Justin Tucker, it changes things a bit. But still, it's it's you, you, can't, like, you can't say the Lions didn't deserve to win that game because I think they did, and I think they should have another win on their record just because yeah. of that. And the Ravens are a good team. Mind you, that was with Marlon Humphrey healthy. healthy. Yeah. So imagine what they would do against them now. If they play well, I think, yeah, I, I do think any team, and the Lions are certainly an underrated team for how bad their record oh, is. Oh, yeah, for real. Got to be the best one-win team in NFL history. But even those those really bad teams, like the Cleveland Browns, you were saying that they haven't won, and they, yeah, they were atrocious that year. Yeah. They can scrape up a good game against anyone and still manage to win. It's, it's just luck. Games too. It's sometimes luck, and it does happen a lot in the division. The two Steelers games from that season, they played the Steelers... In the first week, Chris Boswell needed to hit a game-winning field goal to uh, to walk off the Steelers game, essentially. The Browns kept it close that whole season. Then in the last week of the season, which back then was week 17, uh, Landry Jones needed to be efficient, needed to be icy in the fourth quarter to, uh, to get a win. Anything can happen in divisional games. Uh, just remember that anything can happen in divisional games. We're going to take a quick pause on the water break we will be right back with some more sports discussion on 88.9 the bridge music and conversation that spans generations 88.9 the bridge awesome airwaves from mihs welcome back to the water break here on 88.9 the bridge we are back with another segment and you know, one thing one thing I've always wanted to talk about is division rivals, right? We all hate our division rivals, uh, whether it's the NFL, we got the Cards, the Rams, the 49ers. I do not like any of those teams whatsoever. 
But there's always the one or two players on each of those teams that you kind of have a soft spot for, and no matter like how badly they'll beat up on your team, you just can't hate them. And I think that goes with for any sport, really. So, McLean, I want to ask you, what are some players that you just really, really like from some of the top Seattle team's divisional rivals? Well, I'm really glad you asked this question. It's the, it's the holiday season. I'm trying to spread some positivity everywhere. Exactly. You gotta know be nice. how it goes. Um, I think a player I like from a division rival, I'm going to say a, uh, a baseball player, actually. You know, uh, baseball is um, my favorite sport, my favorite team, the St. Louis Cardinals. But there's a player, uh, Brian Reynolds, who is a Pittsburgh Pirate. I, I like the kid. I like the kid. He uh, kind of came out of nowhere as a superstar. And just as a fan of baseball, I like uh, his archetype. You know, the uh, stud-hitting center fielder. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of uh, the Diamondbacks and later Athletics' Cattell Marte. He's a great player, all-around funky guy, and uh, I, I just I, I like him, even though he plays for a rival. Another Pittsburgh Pirate I really love, Stephen Brolt and his country album. That's so cool. It's so cool how he's just a pro baseball player and just decides one day to record a country album. That's hey, something I wish I had the while most. We're, while we're know. speaking about Pirates players, we like Andrew McCutcheon, an old an old Pirates player, yeah. actually. I really like that guy. Andrew for, McCutcheon. For whatever re- weird reason, he was a pretty good player, too. I, oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't remember amazing. it too well. He hasn't been a Pittsburgh Pirate but for he is a, not. For a he's not now. been there for a while, and I remember him from when I was younger, and I, for whatever reason, I always liked him. Yeah, that guy's really likable. Uh, and then for an NFL player, I um, assume we're going to get the obvious answer out of the way with Larry Fitzgerald, uh, everyone's favorite division rival player, at least if you're a fan of an NFC West team. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I was going to go for. He's so just like he's how can how can you hate Larry Fitzgerald? There's nothing oh, to hate about Larry Fitzgerald. He's such a such a great guy, such a professional guy, um, real stand up player and a real smart player, too. He never messed up, never made mistakes. Um, do you remember, like, in Kyler Murray's rookie season, he threw a pass to Larry Fitzgerald with the, uh, oh no, it was his second season, last year. He threw a pass to Fitzgerald while running the two-minute drill with the Cardinals. Um, Fitzgerald, after uh, making the catch, didn't try to get any yards, just sat down and ran the ball into the middle so that Murray could spike it. It was the smartest football play I think I've ever seen a, a receiver make. Kyler Murray and Larry Fitzgerald, I uh, am forever going to be sad that we got robbed of more years of that connection. I think Fitzgerald got to be like not only my favorite divisional rival, probably one of my favorite football players, period, of all time. I agree, and he, he's good enough where you kind of just wish he would have been on your team too. Yeah, uh, but you know, there's nothing you can do about that. But yeah, he. I mean, he the dude, the dude tackled more people on offense. Yeah. Than he did drop the ball, like drop the ball. Everyone drops the ball, but not offense him. Offense and a couple of special teams tackles earlier in his career. He has more tackles than he does drops. It's is, it's uh, crazy. The stat that Will's referencing. Yeah. Larry Fitzgerald, and it's not even close either. He's only got like 20 drops in his career. He played nearly 20 seasons. He's only got like 20-some drops. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you can see DK Metcalf, no offense to DK Metcalf, but you can see DK get half of that in just one game. Yeah. I'm I'm saying that as a joke, of course. I love DK Metcalf. Metcalf's only got two tackles in his whole career. Yeah. 
And one of them was probably one of the coolest plays. That was also sure. against the Cardinals. That was one of the coolest plays I've ever seen. So props to him for that. Metcalf hunting down Boone that was Baker. That was all over the internet that day, and it was oh, fun yeah. to watch. Because a lot of the times you see Metcalf on the internet for like a, a, a big play, is usually he's getting ripped on. So that was a, that was a cool one to see. That for, one was For so whatever sick. reason, the internet does not uh, like DK Metcalf nor Jamal Adams. Metcalf is, I believe, a classic example of somebody who got too big too fast. And same with same with Adams, same but with not Adams. not quite as fast. People people they're just, they're I would say they're both a little bit overrated, and I think people take that as like people like people just take that as an excuse to totally hate on them, which doesn't really Metcalf make sense. And Adams both occupy a weird weird space yeah. in uh, NFL circles where they manage to be both over and underrated simultaneously. Yeah. Like, you meet anybody, they either think that DK Metcalf is, you know, a superstar Mount Rushmore-level wide receiver who's just having a bad season, or they think he shouldn't even be on an NFL roster. And another player I'd like to mention just like that is Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, yeah. Man, it's so weird. This joker called into my show uh, this morning to complain about Josh Allen. Oh, that guy. Yeah. uh, uh, Live uh, earlier today talking about uh, holiday traditions and uh somebody called in just to complain about Josh Allen. I mean, dude dude was committing a robbery there of the <laughs> Buffalo Bills, 250 million dollars. I wouldn't say I'm a crazy Josh Allen hater cuz I do have him in fantasy and he does pretty well for me. But uh he's I would say he's overpaid for some of the product that he puts out on the field consistently. If you're making 250 million dollars and I would say Mahomes was looking pretty bad the start of the season, but he's totally turned things around. If you're getting paid that much money, because you got to remember, he's him and Mahomes are like in a league of their own with the money, basically. You got to be the second best player in the league. And a lot of the time, Josh Allen does not look like that player. He does occasionally, but I would say a lot of the time, Josh Allen is not always looking like that player, especially with some of the weapons they have on that team. Oh, definitely. Josh Allen is in a great place to succeed as like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, give like a dissertation on Josh Allen cuz I've actually thought a lot about this. Josh Allen is in a great place to proceed as le- or to succeed as like a Drew Brees late career Peyton Manning style distributor point guard quarterback. He is not a point guard quarterback. Josh Allen is a playmaker and playmakers do best when they're kept on somewhat of a pitch count. However, the Bills do not have the running game to uh, allow enough plays to be called to keep Josh Allen on any sort of pitch count. I think, you know, and I don't even think that they want to use him as like a rookie season Russell Wilson, like 20 plays a game re- require Allen to do something other than hand the ball off type of type of pitch count. I just mean they don't want to have him carry the ball 10 times a game and throw it another 50. You know, I, I want them to run the ball sometimes. Yeah, and, that is true. And uh, the Bills just don't have the run game to do that. Yeah, they, that is, that uh, is the one thing their offense of, lacks. They throw a lot of screens to Beasley, and they try to get the ball to Stephon Diggs in the short uh, parts of the field. But they don't have the ability to take the ball out of Allen's hands. So he's often underutilized by uh, dumping off screens, and the Bills ask him to make too many you know, backyard football plays where he runs around and throws the ball. Those deep shots are too big a part of the Bills' playbook. We saw it a little bit down the stretch of the Seahawks' last season where they asked Russell Wilson to pretty consistently play hero ball 
and the offense uh, had some middling results. I think that Josh Allen is in the situation, if you put that group of Bills offensive players, if you put Drew Brees at the helm, Drew Brees would, even despite the fact that he's like 40-something years old now, he would instantly reopen the GOAT debate for himself. But Josh Allen just isn't the type of quarterback who can succeed throwing the ball 50 times a game and carrying it another 10. And uh, it hurts to see him continue to try to be forced into that offense. If I was Buffalo, I'd have to look to the draft, look to free agency, uh, maybe uh, look to the, uh, I don't know, look to even trade Mm. for an established running back and an established run-blocking pair of guards. I, I would I would kind of disagree with that. I I would say Josh Allen's not amazing, but I think I think you're you're giving him not enough credit. He's good sometimes. Yeah. I think the only problem he's just inconsistent, and he's wildly inconsistent. You know why he's to be paying too much to you be know, paid too much you know, money. You know why he's that inconsistent? Why? It's because he is the Bills' offense. That is true. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you put uh, Josh Allen would benefit. Largely, again, I, I I I keep saying pitch count. I don't think that's the right uh that's the right you uh usage of the word. I want to keep Josh Allen like just give the defense something to worry about that isn't Josh Allen running the ball or Josh Allen throwing the ball. Get it so that he doesn't have to do something on sixty plays of the seventy that his offense runs a game. Get that number down, like even in the forties. I think Josh Allen could still put up MVP type numbers. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Anyways, we are going to take a quick break here on the water break. That's kind of funny. I never even thought about that. <laughs> Didn't mean it, of course. But uh, yeah, we will be right back after a little bit of music and conversation. Hello and welcome back into the water break. I'm McLean, joined as always with Will Pellerin. And seeing as how uh, the water break is going to be taking a brief hiatus uh, for the holidays, Will, Creed, Sai are going to travel, spend some time with their families, do all the things that uh, holidays consist of. This is going to be our last segment of the year, so I figured we should do something fun. And because the most fun thing in the world is caller interaction... I wanted to open up the phone lines for this one. Our number is 206-275-9104. You can call or text in that number. You can text in any time. You can call right now to answer this question of what is your favorite sports movie? Will, do you want to start that? I do, yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really good sports movies. I would say I'm a bit biased, you know. I play hockey a lot, and... There does happen to be one really, really good American hockey movie. You know what I'm talking about, Miracle on Ice. I think, I think in my opinion, that's just my favorite one in general. It's such a cool story. Um, stuff like that doesn't really happen. And I, I personally love the movie. I've seen it probably like three or four times now. I love watching that. But outside of that, there's tons of really good ones. And for my, if we're not counting Miracle towards my number one, which I do, I do think it is my number one. I would probably say for me, it's in between Space Jam. I like Space Jam. Uh, I like Ford vs Ferrari, which is. Would you consider Ford vs Ferrari a sports movie? You could argue. I think it. it's a sports movie. I don't know. Genres are kind of fake when we're describing movies. Uh, music too, but genre is fake. 
If Die Hard is a Christmas movie, Die Hard um, is not a Christmas movie. If Die Hard, well, yeah, but if you say Die Hard is a Christmas movie to a bunch of people, uh, half of them will agree with you. Anyway, genre is fake. If Die Hard is a Christmas movie, uh, Ford versus Ferrari is totally a sports movie. Okay, so we'll give it we'll give it that. And then uh, I do also like Happy Gilmore. I think that's kind of a a, a a bit of a different pace than some of the other ones we've mentioned, but that's a really funny movie. That's true. How about you? What are what are some of your top ones? I think uh, I'm gonna sound so pretentious. If you're gonna be the fan of a sports movie, you're either looking for a really deep and complex story told through the lens of something really simple, um, or you're looking for just something stupid and funny. And so I think you gotta consider sports movie two different categories. I think the best like deep story is greater, uh, which was the story of a it was a tragedy about a kid who played football. Uh, walked on at Arkansas, the University of Arkansas, after denying a scholarship, and then uh, played his way into a first-round draft grade and then uh, died tragically young at 23. I thought it was a great uh, story. Uh, really dealt with a lot of themes of, like, idealism and potential and a whole bunch of heavy stuff that I wasn't expecting from a football movie. Um, and the most fun movie that's just funny and stupid is uh sandlot sandlot sandlot's a really good the one sandlot has aged uh like fine beverages uh because this is a publicly licensed station the sandlot has aged like some stuff that's pretty good the sandlot uh it was a corny coming-of-age story about a bunch of uh young preteen kids in 19 in the 90s when it came out and it's a young story about a corny bunch of teenage kids now. It's aged perfectly. 11-year-olds haven't changed a bit since the 50s when the movie was set. And Benny the Jet Rodriguez pickling the gigantic dog never gets old. Yeah, that I is could, true. I could do a whole like AP literature uh, dissertation on the way that you know, youth is portrayed and the young lens through which the movie is seen. I could do that, but it'll be really boring to anybody who hasn't seen Sandlot. You so, know, when the AP test is all said and done, I would love to do something like that in Goldhammer's class. Like, you just pick pick whatever. It could be a movie. It could be a book. It could be a short story. It could honestly be anything, maybe even a real-life event, if that would be something that had a sure, lot of meaning. Sure, And you could do, like, an analysis. That would be just so fun. I think I think we should do that for all our assignments, to be honestly, honest. Honestly, Analyze Anything is a great project. If we're going to exactly. talk, uh, Mr. Goldhammer, for those of you confused, is the English teacher that teaches Will and I English. Um, and honestly, I think Analyze Anything is a great assignment to assign. Everybody in your class will love it. Nightmare to grade, um, because again, saying analyze anything would require Goldhammer to watch the Sandlot so that he knows if I'm right or not. Exactly. Plus, there's there's no rubric to it. Like, yeah. if all these people are doing different things, you can't really put like one metric to it and say this is what we're grading you on because all of these things are going to have different components. They might be uh, more lacking in another category while they'll be stronger in one just because it's yeah. the type of thing they're doing. And I think that could make a lot of problems. So I, I understand why teachers don't do those kind of assignments, but I do think it would be pretty fun for It'd the kids. It'd be so much fun to do. Nightmare Easy A. You could give us just free A's. That'd be awesome. Free A's if you just do something. Exactly. I don't know. Uh, personally, I'd 
I love overanalyzing like common literature. I guess winter is the wrong time to be singing the praises of the Sandlot because it's a very like first week of summer sleepover movie. It's a very like me and the boys who are all 12 years old because that's the last time anybody said me and the boys unironically uh hanging out and like playing Minecraft on the PlayStation and uh you know eating ungodly amounts of junk food uh but in like a July sense and not in a December sense. Yeah, you're right about that for whatever reason it's you that actually captures it pretty well. Yeah, I um but I love the Sandlot. I I I think that the Sandlot does a lot to glamorize what is an awkward part of a lot of people's lives. There's a lot of man, I sure am glad that I'm 17 right now movies. Like the entire back catalog of John Hughes exists to glamorize being 17, 18. Uh but nothing exists for people who are like 11 to 16. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I'm I'm watching I'm watching my little siblings, my little brother, my little sister, uh, who are really cool. I'm watching them go through that, um, and like during a pandemic, it's it's rough. But you gotta love the Sandlot, so I think I'd make that my favorite sports movie. That makes sense. One I wanna I wanna talk about that I didn't include is uh, Slapshot. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Slapshot. I take it that's a hockey film. It is indeed a hockey film. It's probably one of the funnier movies out there. Uh, it's it's quite inappropriate, by the way. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend showing this to your kids. Uh, but it's a hilarious movie. There's the Hanson brothers, which I don't need to go too in depth on them, but they're three guys, super nerdy. They play with trains and they beat up a lot of people. It's I don't it's it's hard to say in words. I haven't seen it in about a year or two, but it's it's a really good movie. I need to rewatch that actually. Maybe this winter break, I'll take a look at that. Anyways, I have another question for you. Yeah, what is it? Favorite Super Bowl, and oh. we're not talking we're not talking the Seahawks winning because I know that's the easy one. Forty three Of course, that was my favorite Super Bowl. Was everyone in Seattle's aside Super Bowl. aside from that? What do you what would you give it to? Aside from that, uh, a couple of candidates instantly jumped to mind. Uh, the first was Nick Foles' upset of the Patriots in uh, Super Bowl 52. That was an awesome game start to finish. That game was always close. A bunch of, you know, a great mix of established stars and no-name practice squatters were turning in amazing plays. I mean, Trey Burton uh, had the play in that game that a lot of people remember and Trey Burton is like the fourth tight end in Chicago now uh it's there's there's a bunch of uh there's a bunch of players uh who performed really well in that Super Bowl Gronk I remember had quite a game uh Julian Edelman Tom Brady balled out it's there was a lot of great players a lot of no-name players but everybody was on the field tonight I don't think a single player had a bad Super Bowl 52 the other one that comes to mind is uh, Tom Brady leading the Patriots all the way back against the Falcons, which, love or hate Tom Brady, coming back from down 25 with a quarter of football to play, that's huge. And on the game's grandest stage, it doesn't get any huger than that. Uh, so I think I'll say 28-3 was my favorite. Interesting. What's your favorite? I got it. I mean, that Eagles game, I remember watching that at your house, actually. That was yeah. probably one of the coolest football experiences, especially because at that time period, 
people disliked the Patriots, like, including myself. People disliked the Patriots so much. I think it made it funnier that they won because yeah. people were posting on the internet all this stuff about how they just lost to a backup quarterback, making that the the crazy play also helped it too. I know we even we even have that play in our intro. Yeah, uh, the call for that. The Philly special is it's, in our intro. You're it, right. It's so like I think when you look back on history, that's probably going to be the most remembered Super Bowl in. In our generation, I would I would say you're, you're, you're it's going like to be the most. We didn't. You're acting Super Bowl. like we didn't throw the ball on the one yard line to make the most memorable Super Bowl. Oh no! Oh, wait, what? That never happened. <laughs> no, I yeah, no. What? What are you? What oh, are you talking on, about, man. McLean? Come on, man! Somebody's going to think that. I made thought that you. Whole I Super thought Bowl you weren't. I thought you weren't going to bring that up. Actually, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm actually sorry. You brought I'm that up. Sorry. That brings I, back some horrible memories. But I mean, you you had to know it was coming, right? I mean, we uh, we totally threw the ball on the one yard line, and it was totally the most memorable Super Bowl of our generation. I mean, when people look back at the early 2010s, they're going to see it as you know Tom Brady's dominance. And that Super Bowl, Brady getting that win, was a big part of what kickstarted his return to form. I mean, he went to since uh, since that game. Tom Brady has played in every Super Bowl but two. You know that's I think that was probably one of the worst experiences I've had. Like Ugh. just ever watching like anything. I I'm not gonna lie, I cried after that game. Not much, but I did cry. A I was. Bit. You have no idea. Like I'm sure you experienced this too. But the emotion of being like, "Oh my, we're about to win this thing. It's over. We got you know the best running back in the league, the best power back in the league. We're right on the the one yard line. We'll just punch it in. Game over." To to being like just torn away like that. It was it was tough, and I was yeah. young. I was young when that happened too. Yeah. So, and that was because that was right after we beat the Broncos, right? It was, uh, was the it year the f- after. Yeah, it was the year after. Goes. So and that was when I was really starting to get into football because I realized, you know, well, the Seahawks team, they're yeah. pretty good. You know, we got some good Seattle sports here. So I started watching football more and I paid attention a decent bit throughout that season and I watched them get there and then I saw it get ripped away from them and that just shattered me. Yep. That was hard. That was, oh, I just words cannot describe how much I hated that game. Yeah, I will say this though. Got to be the most entertaining Super Bowl of it our was. It was a it was a good game, and not to mention yeah. the the quote quote defining Super Bowl of this era of football has to be one that Tom Brady wins, right? I don't know. I think I think the the Eagles one where Tom Brady loses is more defining just because it's so rare. That's you know? true. But if you had to like write the story of the game of football through like a, a short. Uh, selection of no you're right it would it would be that you'd have to pick the one yard short right yeah i think so if you were gonna write the story of the game through super bowls it would be namath's guarantee uh joe montana uh absolutely you know demolishing the broncos and then i guess the one yard short probably yeah yeah. Didn't the Titans have a really bad uh, giveaway? The Titans had a really bad one yard short. They, they as well. fumbled, or did they, they not came make up, it? What they happened? They had uh, were they were down late in the game, had a chance to come back, came up one yard short oh. against the then St. Louis Rams. So yeah, ours is now ours is worse than that. Ours is worse than that. Yeah. That's, Anyways, uh, I just I can't think about it without just like thinking how much better my life would be yeah. if we won that game. If we Man. won that game, I don't know. It would be a different timeline. 
we won that game, Tom Brady would be a San Francisco 49er by now. <laughs> that would be funny, actually. That would be see so funny. the divisional games. Oh. All right. Well, anyway, I think this is uh, it from us at the water break. Uh, we, like many other shows on this station, are going to be on a very brief hiatus for the holiday season. We're going to miss next week and possibly the week after, uh, but nothing more. We'll be back in the new year. Um, if you really like me, I'll be sticking around on the Rutabaga Mondays and Friday nights uh, on this station, uh, 10 p.m. on Mondays, 11 on Fridays. And uh, we will be back uh, the first Friday of the new year will be ours. Uh, thank you guys for listening to the best sports show on 88.9 The Bridge. For Will Pellerin, I'm McLean Hopkins, and we are out.